So I also want to I want to thank Noel. Noel delivered like an incredibly heartfelt, very passionate uh, message. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't capture it on the podcast. Um, but he's going to do something that's a little bit. He's going to. He has his notes. He's going to do something a little bit different, so you can get his main thoughts, and this and that. And I, I had a couple of people uh, visit with me. Nobody upset. Just some people said, "Well, I didn't really agree with all that." You know, truthfully, you don't have to agree with all that. That's really not our point. Our point is not that we have to agree with each other on every dot and tittle. We want. We've got to. We've got to talk about uh, things that are happening in our culture. We cannot. Say, so, oh, well, let's just read the Bible and let's forget about that stuff. We read the Bible so we can address what's happening around us and we can be who we are meant to be, this announcement of the kingdom of God, especially when things seem to be out of control. If I understand anything, my job, when I go to a place like the river and it seems out of control, my job is to say, wow, let your kingdom come. I, I want you to be in charge here. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. So any place I go that seems out of control, I'm, I'm inviting Jesus to take charge. That, I think that's our job in the world. Not to avoid those places, but to go and, and invite Jesus to come and to see his kingdom come. That's our job. And so we are to be very much involved in the world. And today I just want to share with you what I've been thinking about, largely in light of, of what the events that have been happening in our country, as well as what Noel shared. So I want us to, to take a step toward reconciliation uh, today. In Mark chapter 4, verse 21 to 25 is where we'll end up. We won't start there. But as we start, I also want to say that the person that I am very, very grateful for is a person that's my sister. And Kathy is uh, living in Luton, UK. She's making a transition out of Youth with a Mission where she served for 15 or so years, maybe 20 years. And she's now with two other people. She's establishing a peace center out of the Anglican Church in Luton because they, they have so much to do in that community of people of different faiths, languages, cultures, coming together, living as good neighbors, saying to those that are either radicalized in Islam or right-wing fascists, you can't, no, we're not going to do that here. You're not welcome here. We as a community of people are saying no. And I wanted us to pray for Kathy, not just because I'm so grateful, but she's going to Turkey on Tuesday. Now, doesn't that seem kind of crazy? Uh, she is going with a man that is, uh, she's known for a long time, Matthew Hand. Matthew is a tremendous thinker. He's been in, he's the head of Lutheran World Mission or something. Um, he was the brain behind the reconciliation walk, the historian behind that. So Matthew and Kathy have worked for years and years together. And so he's going to take her to Van, which is in eastern Turkey, to show her what he's been doing among the Kurds for the past 20 years. Uh, he's really security-minded. So, so anyway, if it's not safe, they won't go. Uh, but if it is, everything's settled down after the attempted coup. Uh, they're going to go ahead and go. But I just, let's just take a moment. I just want to say a prayer of thanks and just a, a prayer of sending in safety, okay? Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gift that Kathy is to me as a brother, uh, not just a natural brother, but also a brother in the faith. Thank you for what she's been doing for the past 20 years in the ministry of reconciliation. I am extremely grateful for where she's been willing to go, the people that she's been willing to talk to, 
And I thank you that she has been in every, every way totally committed to you, Jesus, and committed to your ministry of reconciliation. So we give thanks for her today. We also pray that you would give she and Matthew wisdom as they uh, move towards Turkey. Uh, Lord, if indeed they go, we pray for their safety and pray for the success of connecting with the Kurds in Van. So we bless you, Lord, and thank you. Amen. I thought of Kathy because uh, back in, I think it was 2011, Kathy invited Susan and I to come to Rwanda with her. And so for a few years we'd been doing, we'd been going to England once a year and helping with a school of reconciliation. And the school of reconciliation was primarily bringing young people from conflict areas, Rwanda, Palestine, Israel, Nigeria, and then a mixture of Americans and Canadians and other folks coming together to learn about principles of reconciliation and justice. So Kathy asked, hey, would you come and would you give us the theology of the kingdom that is really connected with reconciliation and justice? So several years we got to do that, got to meet wonderful people from Rwanda. All of them had gone through the genocide, had seen horrible, horrible things. Young people, many of them couldn't even tell you their story yet of what had happened, but they were all committed to we don't want to see this happen anymore on the planet. And we, we, want to be, we want to be trained so we can go back to Rwanda. We want to see a new day in Rwanda. I mean, tremendously inspirational people in their early 20s. All of them, they're not wanting to escape. They're wanting to step out of the, of the situation, be equipped, and go back into it. So we went to Rwanda. <clears throat> in our last morning there... This gentleman walked in the room and uh, introduced himself. Antoine was his first name. And he was one of the primary architects of the reconciliation plan for the nation of Rwanda. This, indiv- I mean, this, this guy, I mean, he talked. I, I don't know when he started talking, but at like 3 in the afternoon, he said, do we, do, is it time for lunch yet? Incredible. But one of the things that, he told us, kind of at the beginning, she look, he looked at Susan and I and Kathy, and I think there may have been somebody else with us, and he said, so you're Americans? And we said, yes. He said, and you're here in Rwanda teaching about reconciliation? We said, yes. He said, hmm, what do you have to teach us about reconciliation? Because you and your nation, you've never reconciled. You've settled for peaceful coexistence. Now, all I could do is say, yes, sir. Because I knew that he knew a lot more about what he was talking about than I did. So peaceful coexistence is this policy of mutual tolerance between groups having different beliefs, ideologies, or outlooks. So we, we just kind of go to our separate corners and we say, okay, we, we can live in this ring together, but we're just, just going to tolerate the differences between us. We're not going to try to reconcile. And that was what the contrast was. Would we settle for peaceful coexistence rather than move into the really hard work of reconciliation? And just to underscore how hard it is, do, you, do we realize that in our national history, the Emancipation Proclamation was in what year? 1863. 
and the Civil Rights Act was in 1960, a hundred years, and we're not there yet. So th- this is incre- it's incredibly difficult for people to reconcile. But I want to take you, in some ways, on this just a step towards reconciliation, because I think it's really important, because it's part of the kingdom of God. It's in the Bible. This ministry of reconciliation has been given to us because we've been reconciled with God. We are to reconcile with others. So in contrast to, to like peaceful coexistence, which, again, I think it's, it's not so peaceful right now, right? Coexistence begins to break down because it's, it, it's not resolved. It's not reconciling. Reconciliation is, is thoughts of change predominate. Something must change. We, no, we just can't tolerate. It's got to change. It's a two-sided process, not a one-sided, two-sided process in which hostility is overcome on both sides. Some examples that come out of the Greek world, out of the New Testament, you've got an angry brother who is neither seeking nor he envisions reconciliation. In order to be reconciled with his younger brother, he must renounce his enmity. That's reconciliation. Or you have an angry mother. She has to renounce her anger against her, her errant son. So it kind of looks like if you've got an older brother and a younger brother, and the older brother will not let go of the enmity, they're moving away from the, the relationship is moving people away from each other. That's not reconciliation. Reconciliation is when people turn towards each other. This mother who's angry with her errant son turns towards her son, I'm going to renounce that anger. I'm going to let that anger go. And it's the errant son seeking, you know, Mom, I I went astray, and I want to seek relationship. That's the direction of reconciliation. Peaceful coexistence keeps us moving away. Reconciliation brings us together. Our our belief in the reconciliation is found at the cross. And that's really where our morning, that's where the time was invested in Rwanda. This description of the cross that I mean, it's like one of those incredible times of, wow, I have never seen that in the cross. For while we were yet sinners, we were enemies of God. We were, we were moving away from him. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. The death of Jesus Christ reconciled enemies to God much more surely having been reconciled will we be saved by his life but more than that we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now receive we've received reconciliation so those of us that are following Jesus we've received reconciliation it's now our gift to give to our generation governments cannot produce it Only God can give it, and the people of God who receive it give it away. It's it's extremely important that we get this. In Isaiah, the cross is described. Surely Jesus has borne our infirmities, carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. 
but he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises, we we are healed. We were like sheep who've gone astray. We've all turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. At the cross, there's two sides of the cross. One side, our healing. The other side, our forgiveness. One of the things that the Rwandan context brought to focus and why we focused here were there are these young people who would have been anywhere from 10 to 15 that they, they witnessed it. I mean, the unbelievable trauma of what they saw all around them. And they were, there would be people who would say, uh, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. And at that point, they would say, well, then I won't be forgiven. And the, the point was, the point that Antoine made with us, if the wounds are not healed, the forgiveness will not come. The cross of Jesus provides both. And sometimes we overlook the wounds that have been caused by our transgressions. When I transgress, I wound other people. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the only thing that then can heal the damage that I've done. At the same time, I have a debt, a legal thing that must be forgiven. A debt canceled. The cross provides for that as well. So it looks like this. The cross really, it's, it's both. It's both healing, the healing of our wounds and the forgiveness of our sins. Now, as, we, as, as some of the focus has come upon the black American and the white American, my friends, I think the thing that you and I, maybe we just don't get yet, is there has been a wound into the soul of the black American. And sometimes, we're, again, we're on that legal side. Well, just forgive. It's over. It's the past. Just, just forgive it. What, you can't forgive it. If no one has ever said, there's healing for that wound. And if our systems, there is a a systemic problem in America. It still exists because America is not perfect. America is never going to be perfect. It's the kingdom of God that will ultimately set all these systems right. But until those systems are corrected, it still crushes people. It still wounds people. I don't, know, I don't know how much you listen to interviews following Dallas, but I listened to an NPR interview of the surgeon who cared for the police officers that were brought into Parkland Hospital. The irony of it was he was black. And his heart was broken. He said, I had to look into these officers' faces as they died. I had to go out. I had to deliver bad news to these families. Tremendous compassion coming from the surgeon. And the NPR 
interview, he said, well, you know, has this event, has this brought any sort of change in the discourse? And the doctor said something like this, you know, prior to Dallas, I would never have brought up the issue of race around my dinner table with my closest friends. I just wouldn't talk about it. Well, has this event changed? He said, yes, this event has changed. Because what I think we have to come to grips with is that black men in America are targeted. Now, again, I came listening to that because he's talking about a wound which he was prior to those events not willing even to talk about, but now willing to bring up. So how do you feel about saying that publicly? He said, I feel great relief. And until we can grapple, until we can kind of get our hands around that, and as a society of people begin to deal with that, sadly, these rips in our peaceful coexistence are probably going to keep happening. And so it really now brings me to where I really want to, I mean, as I've been just hanging out with Jesus in my backyard, the coolest time I can find because it's not cool most of the time, this passage in Mark really hit me. And this is something that I believe that we can do to help bring healing between people. Okay? That's where I want us to go. Mark chapter 4, verse 21 to 25 Jesus didn't just say it to them. Jesus says this to us. Jesus is speaking to us. Is a lamp brought in to be put under the bushel basket or under the bed and not on the lampstand? For there's nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Let anyone... With ears to hear, listen. Wiggle your ears. We, got, we have ears, right? It's not about not having, it's like, are these working? And then he goes on, he said, he repeats it. He says to us, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be measured the measure you get. And still more will be given. For to those who have, more will be given. And from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. In a very wooden, literal sense, Jesus is saying, see what you hear. Do you see what you hear? So it's almost be like, you know, I'm listening to the news. I'm listening to this NPR Am I, am, I gonna, am I gonna actually take the thoughts out of what I'm hearing, put them on paper so I see what I'm hearing? He's really saying we have got to remain aware of our mental function to pay attention to what we hear. I mean, we're, we're so inundated that I think he's just saying, you know, it's great to listen, but you got to pay attention to what you're listening to. I visited a friend's house. 
I don't remember what evening it was that the event happened in Nice. And there in that, I'm in that huge, big screen TV. The wife is listening to the report and the husband is just going off. The only option open to us is isolation. Keep them all out of here. And I'm thinking, I mean, are you paying attention to what you're hearing? Are you seeing what you're hearing? Because, and then I just tried to make some comments that what he wasn't going to listen. His mind was made up. Solution, problem, solution, bang. And I'm thinking about Madam Liberty. That's what, if we abandon like kind of core values, come to me, all you weary. If we abandon that core value, that really affects us as a nation. So Jesus, I, Jesus challenges us to hear when our attention is, is drawn to really two really special difficulties. I mean, I think we all understand the difficulty of really listening, right? So Jesus is saying, you know, I understand it is difficult to really listen. You know, I can look at Otto and I can think that Otto's listening to me, but Otto might not be listening to me. We all have that ability. Are you, are you seeing what you're listening to, Otto? <laughs> and then I'm going to add this just because I'm trying to contextualize this with what we're dealing with. It's really difficult to really listen to the painful story of the other. Especially when that's not our story. Especially when we would rather that not have happened. I, I really wish that would not have happened. As we listen to stories of people, in, I wish that would not have happened to you. But it was very important for them to be able to tell their horrible story. And it was really difficult to listen. To really listen. And to really resist trying to fix it. Can't fix it. I just need to listen. And the other part of this difficulty is the difficulty of listening and learning. As you, as you talk to me, as you tell your, your painful story, you're, really, you're telling me a narrative that I'm not familiar with. Because I'm not of, of the culture. I'm not within that culture, within that really a subculture of our bigger culture. I've never heard that narrative. So it's really difficult for me to learn from your narrative. Again, not to deny your narrative. Not to try to correct your narrative. Oh, no, that's not the... It's your narrative. It's difficult to really listen. And then this is the thing that just blows me away. Because Jesus then attaches the measure you use will be measured to you. And it has to do with us listening. When we increase our capacity to listen and to learn, the measure we use. So if we, if we use a big measure to listen and to learn to others, Jesus is saying... That illumination 
is given to us in increasing measures. That's when our lamp is on the lampstand. And its secrets are being disclosed. You see, in unhealthy families, there's always secrets. America is one big unhealthy family. America is a dysfunctional family. Just think about it that way. And so until we're willing to listen and to learn with a capacity, capacity, then the secrets that have gone on in our community, in our households, those are not going to be disclosed. Because that's the opposite. However, if we decrease our capacity to listen and learn, I don't want to, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to learn from that then that's when our lamp is under a bushel basket and we remain snared by hidden and secret. And I, I, I put in, Jesus didn't say, I'm just putting this in there. It's the lies. It's the lies. Let me, let me give you an illustration as we, as we conclude. I, I, I cannot... Black Lives Matter is something that I need to listen to and learn from, not correct by, oh, but. So again, there's a narrative. That's tr- somebody's trying to tell us a narrative. Somebody's trying to share their wounds with us. And if we're not willing to listen and to learn from that, we're, we just want to correct it. And then we want to say, but all lives matter or white lives matter or... We just keep attaching. We're, we're, we're not listening. And again, it's not to listen to say, you're right, I'm wrong. It's just to listen and to learn. So we're doing that with black Americans. We, we do that with Hispanic Americans. We're doing that in a big way with Muslims. We're doing that with the LGBT community. <laughs> I put, I parked a, an article. It's, it's connected. Where, I don't know if you heard Noel say this. But Noel said last week that we should all just shut up. And basically saying, we need to listen. We just need to listen. The article I said, evangelicals need to sit in a room for a long time and say nothing. <laughs> and my friends, I agree with that. We need to sit in the room with everybody else for a long time and stop talking. And it's not because the truth that we believe. It's not that the truth is wrong. It's just we, we've got this attitude of superiority and righteousness that isn't working. And we've forgotten what it means to be merciful. And that listening to others doesn't mean... That we're condoning. We're just listening because that's another human being. Yeah, every group that is suffering, we want to support. We don't want to pick sides one over the other. We're not, in that. We're not interested in that. The police need our support. Man. Black families in our community need our support. Hispanic families need our support. White families need our support. People need 
others listening and learning and taking steps towards reconciliation. And we may not, it may not, I mean, I'm kind of thinking 2060. That would be like the next 100-year mark. Might not make that one. (laughs) But man, I want to take steps towards that one. And the only way I believe that we can get there is because people that are following Jesus begin to live the gospel of Jesus in the communities that they are. And that becomes like so incredibly attractive that others begin to follow Jesus and his kingdom comes and comes and comes and his rule takes over. That's the hope that I have. So I hope that we've all been challenged by what Jesus is saying to us. And then I've added in a few other things. Hold on to what Jesus is saying. You can trash what I'm saying. But hold on to what Jesus is saying to us. And let's stand together. And let's just ask this this last question. As we stand in God's presence, as we stand as a community together. Are we listening? Are we really listening? When another person is speaking, when we're reading a newspaper or we're reading a news magazine or reading some commentary book about what's going on or we're listening to the news, are we listening? Are we really listening? Holy Spirit, we have ears. And I believe that as a community of people, the the one thing, we may not agree on the details, but the one thing that I believe that we're all in agreement on is that we want to be part of the solution of the problems that exist around us in our culture and in our world. We want to be part of the solution. And we fix our eyes upon you, Jesus. We fix our eyes upon the cross And that is the solution. You and the event of the cross and the resurrection, that's the solution. Now, how we live that out, how we, I mean, how we apply that to a multitude of tensions, that's going to take a lot of conversation and it's going to take a lot of commitment on our part uh, to figure it out. But Holy Spirit, come. I do, I do believe you want to do incredible things in our generation. And I thank you that in some ways you've created this pressure cooker culture that we're living in that really forces us to just to come back to the fundamentals of the cross. A savior, a king, his kingdom, life, resurrection. You're the answer. And I pray that you would empower us to see what we're listening to. That you would take, take our thoughts captive. That you would just, uh, just make the scriptures keep coming alive. Thank you for that time with you this, this week where you just spoke out of your word. I pray that that would happen to all of us. And I pray that you would empower us, send us out to live life 
in our schools, our places of business, our neighborhoods, where we represent you well. That we hold on to the ethic of your kingdom. There's, there's no longer male and female. There's no longer Greek and Jew. There's no longer black and white, and yellow and brown. We are one in the Lord Jesus Christ. Send us out, Lord, uh, to be representatives, ambassadors of your kingdom. And see us through these days with your wisdom and with your power. In your name we pray. Amen.